Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. Joshua chapter 24, and I'll be reading from verse 14. We're going to start a series today entitled, My Family in Christ. And it's outstanding when you look at it in the context of Scripture, the amount of importance that God places on the family and the family unit and how God has defined that. He uses the family unit to describe our relationship with Him. He uses the family unit to describe our relationship with the church. And so some things that He is very invested in, when He looked at humanity, His own creation, and the structure that was there, it was the family that that God elevated and said, this is is what it's supposed to look like. This is how my relationship is going to work. It's the closest thing we have to comparison to how we operate with Him. And it's not a perfect analogy, because there is no perfect analogy, but it was the closest because it's the one He chose to use. So when we go into this, um, well, I realize we could, we could take every Sunday probably from now until Jesus comes back and talk about family and not fully encompass the topic. I'm not going to try to answer all your questions on family simply because... <coughs> I don't have all the answers. But I want us to really dial in on the title of the series, My Family in Christ. Because as Christians, as Christian family members, fathers, mothers, children, it's our ultimate goal that our loved ones make it to heaven. You know, when we think about our children, our spouses, our siblings, not making heaven their eternal home, that's a devastating thought. And yet it is a daily struggle to maintain our families in Christ. So we're going to take three weeks and and try to delve into some key components, probably not all key components, but some that will help us do that. I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 24, uh, starting at verse 15. I'm going to read verse, or I'm sorry, 14. And I'm going to read verse 15. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom Ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The very famous passage of Scripture, we've heard this, we've read this, we've probably declared this in our, our own homes. Uh, this is a word that was spoken in a time of blessing. 
So when we look at the context of this, Joshua has now became, become an elderly man. And verse 23, the Lord speaks a warning. Verse. In chapter 23, the Lord speaks a warning to His people concerning them falling away from Him due to the ease that they now have. And He's talking to Joshua about some things that could come. And Joshua calls for the people and he lays out. If you go back and begin at the beginning of chapter 24, he goes uh, methodically through all the blessings and all the things that God had done, done for them and brought them through. And he comes to this point that we read here in our text. And he says, listen, the, the right thing to do is to serve the Lord. If you're not going to serve the Lord, you have a choice to make. You can serve um, the gods that your fathers used to serve. You can serve the things of your past. You can serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. So you can allow culture to dictate what you serve. And he makes the statement that we love to quote, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As I mentioned a moment ago, the topic of family is extremely large. There are radio programs, Focus on the Family, magazines that they, they fill multiple hours throughout the day, 365 days a year with content on family. Um, we don't have time to go through all that. We don't have time in this series to talk about the definition of family, although it is important. Um, for the sake of our conversation, I will briefly mention the perfect scenario in Scripture. Marriage is one man and one woman and their children. That would define a family. We realize that we live in a fallen world and we deal with issues like death. We deal with issues like separation. We, we have single parent families. We have grandparents raising children. So when I'm talking about family here, I'm talking about the family that lives within your home. I'm talking about your immediate family. Um, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. Your immediate family within the parameters of Scripture. So I'm not making any provision for sinful family structures. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Within the parameters of Scripture, your, your family structure. Mm. Philippians, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Did anybody ever have to memorize Psalms 1? You should. I, I don't know what it is about Psalms 1. I memorized it in about the ninth grade. And I memorized a lot of other scripture. It was a part of our school curriculum. But Psalms 1 just sticks with you. And it talks about the tree that's planted by rivers of water. It says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I think that's great for an individual, but I, I would want that to be said of my family as well. Yeah. I would want that to be said. I would want to be able to input 
Blessed is the family that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth they meditate day and night. And this would be the good part. And they shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. They bringeth forth their fruit in their season. Their leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever they do shall prosper. I want that kind of family. I want a family that's firm, that's well-rooted, that's well-established. I don't want my family to be, like the Scripture says, like the chaffed that's just driven away by the wind, dried up and withered. So the first key today I want us to take away and, and really grab a hold of is it starts with you. It starts with you. I don't know that I've ever approached the topic of family in such a broad term. Typically when, when I'm ready to teach on family or God leads me in that direction, it's, all right, we're going to talk to the fathers. And then we're going to talk to all the moms. And then we're going to talk to the children. But I, I want to eradicate that from our minds today because I'm talking to every person here. I want our young people to hear me. I want our moms and our dads to hear me. Because it starts with you. The first principle I want to highlight concerning keeping our families rooted in Christ is university applied, universally applied to every member of the family. I seen a billboard this past weekend in our travels and it said that um, one in four people live with mental illness. And I don't want to poke fun at mental illness, but the first thing that I thought of, I guess knowing what I was getting ready to preach, is most of us would agree with that, but we would be staring at someone else that lives in our household as we nodded our head, yes. Yeah, sure do. And our tendency sometimes is to think, well, my family would be better if my spouse would get their act together. Our family would be so much more peaceful if, if my children would just be more obedient. My family would be so much better if my parents were not such weirdos. And we can solve all of our family's problems by looking at those around us. But the truth of the matter is, it has to start with me. Our first inclination when thinking of our family is to look around us. But let's take another look at Joshua's famous words. The very end of chapter 15, what does he say? What is the, the famous statement? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know this is a little slower pace today. I'm probably going to do more teaching than anything. But the divine choosing and ordering of those words un unlocks or removes the blinders from our eyes for the first key of having a family that's rooted in Christ. Joshua didn't stand and say, as for my family, we're going to serve God. He could have, if that's the only overarching principle that he was trying to communicate, simply said that. But God, in His divine wisdom, moved on Joshua through the unction of the Holy Ghost to include the words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It starts with me. 
Not only is this the first key to families remaining in Christ, but it's the ultimate key to keeping our families rooted in Christ. We have to understand that although we come together as, as family units, the Bible says that for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and them, them being two shall become one. We, we understand all of that, but at the end of the day, there are still two individuals in, in a marriage relationship, and those two individuals both have eternal souls, and those two individuals both have active wills, and then every child that's brought into that home has its own individual soul and their own active will. All the parents are nodding. Every child, they have their own will. Every person in that family has to make their own choice. As parents, we have the uh, authoritative high ground as our children are extremely young to dictate and determine whether or not they serve the Lord. We have that ability. More so, we have that responsibility. It's our responsibility to lay down rules and guidelines and rails for them to, to begin their motion in life on. But every one of our children will come to a point, and our young people that are in here are already at that point, whether we like it or not as parents, where they are choosing whether or not they're going to serve God. They're making a choice. And so this proclamation, as for me and my house, has to be made by every young person. Right. It has to be made by every lady. It has to be made by every man. Each person must choose for themselves whether or not they're going to serve God. Even if we were to rule with an iron fist in our homes and till the day our children pack their bags and leave, we were to micromanage every decision and enforce every rule and make sure that they did everything right in their heart, it doesn't mean that they would be serving the Lord. They have to make that choice for themselves. And if we do our jobs right, they will one day leave home and then it will be completely up to them. So it has to be personal. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 read like this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's writing to the Philippian church and he says, you've always done a good job. I come in and I teach and I instruct under the power of God and the unction of the Holy Ghost. And you guys are obedient even when I leave. You're not just doing it to make me happy when I'm there. But these were people that were making a choice to implement the word of God and serve him. So he writes to them and he says, now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We know that this doesn't mean they just chose how God was going to save them. The salvation method, original salvation method, did not change. They didn't say, well, you know, I'm working out my own salvation, so, so I don't need the Holy Ghost, or, or I don't really have to be baptized. He's writing to people that have already experienced that. Okay, so he's writing to people that we would say have been saved, and he's instructing them to work out their own salvation. 
He's telling them, choose again, daily, repetitively to be saved. Work out your salvation. Make sure that you're right before God. So, simple questions to ask ourselves as we come to grips with the fact that it starts with me. Number one, am I saved? Have I experienced God's initial salvation in my life? Have I repented of my sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost? For the most part here, we can, we can say yes to that. Am I living victorious over sin? Because just because I experience salvation doesn't mean I'm currently saved. Right? We don't believe in once saved, always saved. If you experience God's salvation, you repent of your sins, you're baptized in Jesus' name, you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and then you go out and live a sinful life, you are not living victorious. You are not saved. Okay? So asking myself, am I saved, doesn't mean I need to go you know, rewind back to however many years ago it was in the altar and reminisce about God filling me with the Holy Ghost. I have to ask myself right now, am I living victorious over sin? Do I have anything in my life that's, that's causing sin in my life? Why is this important to having families that are firm, firmly rooted in Christ? Because my actions will undeniably impact my family. We could pull an example from Scripture. We could look at the actions of Achan. So the children of Israel make it to the promised land. They go into the city of Jericho. Well, outside the city of Jericho, they march around the walls. The walls come down. They flood the city. They overcome it. They have this wonderful victory. And God said, don't take their stuff. Okay, I'm, I'm boiling it down as simple as I can. Don't take their stuff. Everything is an offering to me. And Achan said, you know what? They got some nice stuff. I've experienced victory. I've, I've come into the promised land but I'm not going to obey God in this matter. And so he takes some of the things that God said not to take and he takes it back home and he digs a little hole in the ground and he buries it and he th thinks, no one will ever know. It's all okay. And then there's this little city, this little challenge that's ahead, um, city of Ai. And, and Joshua looks at it and they, they discuss it and they say, we're not even going to send the whole army out. This is just a small matter. It's not even a big deal. And they go marching against Ai and they suffer a huge defeat. And that defeat was tied to Achan, a single individual's decision to entertain sin. So we see here that God operates universally. What I mean by that is He didn't just punish Achan. Achan's actions cost other soldiers their lives. Think about the ramification of what happened. There were children that grew up without their father because Achan couldn't be obedient. There were people that went to battle and, and suffered injuries that altered their life forever because of Achan's disobedience. As individuals, when we... Talk about this idea of searching our lives and seeing if we're living victorious. We need to understand that there isn't an ability to somehow dig a little hole in our lives and hide our sin somewhere. It will have an impact on our family. 
There, there are blessings that God would like to release into our homes, but He can't. And so our children and our spouses and our parents go without the blessing because of our disobedience. There are, there are consequences for sin that come into our family, not because of the actions of anyone else, but, but me. Am I living victorious? It makes a difference. Even if the wages of your sin are isolated to you, the fallout will affect your family. You take someone, how many families has drugs or alcohol completely ravished? And the physical effects of the sin only impact the single individual. But there are emotional and social and mental impacts on every other member of that family. And I draw extreme examples because we we can all look back from a distance and see that, but it's true to the most minuscule of sin. When we entertain that in our life, no matter what role we have in the family, it's going to have an impact on our loved ones. You lose your peace due to a sin in your life, your family has to live with an edgy you. And guess what? They don't like edgy you. Edgy you isn't as good as peaceful you. It's just the way it is. You lose your morality. Even if the relationship is saved, your spouse will question their own worth, their own value. You lose your filter in a moment in the workplace and you say things you shouldn't say. Your family will be associated with the words that you've spoken. It has an impact. So we have to ask ourselves... Am I, am I saved? It starts with me. If I want to have a family that's rooted in God, then I've got to make sure that I am not entertaining sin. I'm not trying to be like Achan. I haven't so fooled myself to think that nobody else will know. I can just keep it here under the ground. I'll, I can just make sure that I, I put some dirt over it. And I, No, I want to clear that out of the way. Why? Because my, my family, being firmly rooted in Christ, is more valuable to me than whatever this little trinket I'm trying to hold on to is. Got to put it in proper perspective. The second question we have to ask ourselves then is am I present in my relationship with Jesus? Am I present? In the context of family, we can, we can make those statements. Are you present in the home? And we understand that that means not just physically there. There are a lot of family members that are physically there, but they're never really available to their family. They're mentally checked out somewhere. They're emotionally doing something else. They don't have any, any interest in being involved in what's going on. We would say that person is, they're not present. Okay? The same is true in my relationship with God. The very beginning part of Joshua 24, verse 14 He says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Not just serve God, but serve Him in sincerity and in truth. While salvation is somewhat contractual, you know, God says, you do this, I'll do this. There's there's the black and white issue of salvation. Really, truly dwelling in Christ is completely relational. It's relational. So, 
ask the question, how am I doing in my prayer life? Where's, where's my prayer life at? Am I talking to God on a regular basis? Am I present in my relationship? Am I communicating with Him? Because it starts with me. What does my Bible reading habits look like? This isn't run the aisle type stuff, but if we want to have families that are rooted in God, that are firm and, and stable, these are the things that build stability. Am I praying? Am I actually sitting down and reading my Bible? Um, how often do I worship the Lord? Does, does my family see me worship God? Not just in, on Sunday, but just out and about. Do I express gratitude and thanks and worth to God? The Scripture that we read in Psalms says, A tree... Planted by rivers of water. Okay? And he describes that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law doth he meditate day and night. So how do I become an individual and ultimately build a family that looks like that tree that, that flourishes? It's by spending time in the Word of God and in the presence of God. If you really take the time to look back and think, Prayer is a funny thing. Like we have to learn to pray. And we're still learning to pray. When I first came to God, I didn't have a clue how to pray. So prayer is twofold. Prayer is first and foremost personal. I've got to pray for me. In fact, testimony, I can just tell you, I'm not even a good person without prayer. You don't want to be around me when I'm not in prayer. Okay? But prayer is also beneficial to those around them. Where did I learn how to pray? I learned how to pray in a prayer room. Mm-hmm. By listening and hearing other people Praise pray. God. Amen. My wife has an amazing testimony about she grew up in church, but there was a time in her life where she was struggling as a young person. And she wakes up in the middle of the night, go to the restroom or get water or something. And as she walked by the stairway, she could hear in the basement the voice of her father who was praying and calling out her name in prayer. Amen. And it was, it was prayer that helped bring stability to that family. And it wasn't in an altar and it wasn't flashy. And uh, I don't even know if he knows to this day. I don't think maybe she shared that with him. But there was, there was no fanfare. There was somebody saying it starts with me. I've got to make my way to a place of prayer. I've got to lift my voice and allow my children and my spouse to hear me talking to God. There's a danger, and I don't know what it is. It, it happens in our corporate prayer. Sometimes it even happens in our home. Some of it's good because it's, it's educational and we can instruct. But we have to be careful as adults not to pawn off all those opportunities to pray on the children. Even in our corporate setting, sometimes we say, who would like to open or who would like to close in prayer? And more often than, than not, we allow the children to fill those roles, which is fine. They need to learn, but we also need to be willing to teach because it's awfully hard to learn what you haven't been taught. Right. And it, it starts with me. Lastly, Are you caring for yourself as a child of God? This is a big deal. Our focus when reading Psalms 1 
is quickly drawn to the flourishing branches and the green leaves and the fruit. That's what we want to see. That's what I want to be like. I mean, it's like a towering oak tree. Some of the, the oaks on the property that we just bought are estimated by people that I've had come out look at them as over 100 years old. And you stand back and you look at that thing and it is strong and it's mighty and there's no wind that's going to blow it over. And there's, there's really no storm that's going to take it out barring it getting struck directly by lightning. I mean, it, it screams stability. And so when I read this passage in, in the scripture, I think about a tree like that. And it's got big, strong branches and bright green leaves. And it talks about the fruit that it's going to bring forth. And all of those things serve other people. And the branches stretch out. They provide shade. And the fruit hangs low. And people can come by and they can partake of that. And there's benefits from it. And they talk about how awesome it is. However, both the branches and the fruit are seasonal. They're seasonal. Fruit doesn't grow just year-round, non-stop, always producing. There are times in the, the cycle of a tree that those leaves, they don't wither, as the Scripture says. The, the leaves won't wither. They're not going to dry up and die. But it does go through seasons where they're dormant and those leaves fall to the ground, even if it's planted by rivers of water. Not only... Are they seasonal, but both of those things, the branches and the leaves, along with the fruit, are indicative of subsurface health. Subsurface health. That tree will not produce fruit and it will not have pretty bright green leaves if it's not healthy on the inside. If it's not healthy on the inside, it's going to maintain the resources that it would use to make fruit to heal what's wrong with the roots or the core of that tree. The river in Psalms 1 is not there just to complete the pristine picture of perfection. We stand back and we view Psalms 1 and there's the tree and the river's flowing by and it's so beautiful. But that river has a purpose. The reason that he says it's like a tree planted by rivers of water is because that water keeps the ground moist. And that tree always has access to liquid. Which... Don't ask me about growing anything other than these basic concepts because I'll kill it all. But I know water is good. Not only does it keep the ground soft and, and full of moisture, but that river is moving. And it's constantly bringing new nutrients into the soil. So that plant and that tree is well fed. We should not stop providing in moments of need. Right? Especially if you're an adult. But even if you're a child, or you're a young person here, there are things that you, you bring to the family. You're going to get in trouble if you say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to be able to take the trash out for a little while because I've got to deal with some stuff inside. Mm -hmm. You're still going to need to take the trash out. Dad, when you're dealing with things on the inside, there still needs to be a paycheck. There's, there's still got to be some things taken care of around the house. Family still has emotional needs. Okay? Moms, you've still got your role to fill. So we don't completely check out and say Some, something's not right. I need to address some things on the inside. This is where systems come into play. 
I'll take it out and I'll, I'll put it in the church context because every family has its own system and I don't know what your system looks like. But that would be, let's say, the equivalent of well, we got Sunday school going on right now. And you're a Sunday school teacher. You say, well, man, I've, I've got some stuff I've got to deal with. The proper thing to do isn't just to step away from all ministry and say, I'm not going to do anything for anybody else. But we have systems. You can take the pre-printed lesson, and thank God for all of those, and, and I don't have to put as much effort into it. So some of the effort that I would put into making it a, a 10 out of 10 class, you know, it's okay sometimes to have a 7 out of 10 class because you needed to take the, the effort that would have made it the extra 3 and put that into yourself. That's why we have systems in place. It's the same way within your family. There are times that family night might be a board game instead of a planned out evening at the park with a grill and the whatever things you do. I don't know what you do. I don't know what the details of the systems. You still have to provide. You still have to fulfill your basic functions. But you have to also take some time for yourself. I learned this a few years ago with me. The only way I can communicate or teach something like this is through my own personal experiences. So excuse the personal reference. But I'm a very driven person. Even this, this past week on vacation, it's very hard for me to go on vacation. I'm there and I'm thinking about work and I'm thinking about the land and I'm thinking about the church. And, and, and I've got to just mentally and very intentionally say, say no. I'm not turning my phone off. I'm not checking my email. I'm not doing those things. Because I can open one email and then four hours later, everybody else is walking the beach and I'm sitting in the hotel room. So I, I don't allow myself to do that. But I have learned one of the best things I can do is I take one week a year and I go somewhere where I can't do anything. That's why I go to the Boundary Waters. Or that's why I go... Some, it's not just because, oh man, I just love the Boundary Waters. I do but it's because I know that for a week I have to, I've got to get away to a place where I can't do anything else. And what is replaced in me in that week of just having quiet time with God and I can focus on myself and I can deal with some of my issues, it, it sustains me for a long time. Amen. That might not be right for you. You might need three hours a month instead of a week a year. I don't know how you operate, but you've got to find that time to make sure you're caring for yourself. Otherwise, bringing it back to the context of family, things are going to build up and you're going to have a mess on your hands. Right. We were just down on Gulf Shores and we could see the beach from our hotel room and we could go down there and we could walk along the beach each day and it was beautiful. And we, we would even go down at night because that was low tide and we would look with flashlights for shells that washed up during high tide. And there's little crabs running all over the place. It was really fun. And a lot of people had told us that, you know, just out, like there's the deep spot and then just out there's another sandbar and that's where all the sand dollars are. We, we just couldn't get to it. Well, I woke up on the last day and I'm looking out the window and I could see the sandbar. I could clearly see it from my hotel room. I was confident. Like, there it is. And it wasn't that far out. And in fact, I could see, because you could see the water change colors. And it wrapped around and it almost touched the shore in one other spot. I'm like, I think I can make it to that. Maybe I can find the kids some sand dollars. So I put all my clothes on and take off to the beach. It's early in the morning. And when I got down to the beach, what I found was it wasn't a sandbar. All I could see was seaweed. 
and washed up onto the shore, knee deep, as far as I could see in both directions, was seaweed. And what I thought was a sandbar was, it was all floating seaweed. The, the beach was disgusting. It smelled bad. Everything was bad. And there was a guy that they, they set up like chairs and umbrellas and stuff. He works there every day. And I was like, what happened here last night? Overnight, this took place. And he says, well, we see it overnight. He said, we'll have to leave this alone and just let it finish. And then we'll come through with, with big trucks and clean this all up. Once it's done, he said, if we start trying to clean, up, clean it up now, it's just a losing battle. But anytime there is a, an eastern sea current for more than two or three days at a time, it drags all of this stuff up the coast of Florida, and there's nothing to stop it until you get to this one little point that sticks out, and that's where we were staying. And all of that stuff just comes ashore. I know you don't care about Gulf Shores, but what I'm saying is if I'm not taking some time to deal with the issues that are going on in my heart and in my mind and making sure I'm replenished. I can put on a good show for a little while and then all of a sudden you wonder why sometimes you come home and one little thing goes wrong and it turns into a like all out family feud. It has nothing to do with the silly little thing that started the argument. It has everything to do with the fact that we allow things to build up for far too long. And I carry the stress from work and the pressures from school and, and the aggravations with, with my spouse and with my other family members and, and with your parents. And we allow these things to build and build and build. But everything looks nice and the beach is clean until it's not. And then it just regurgitates all of this junk onto the shore and there's a big mess to clean up. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can establish methods of communication. We can establish methods of replenishing what we need in our own life because I've got to be healthy spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically to bring my best to the table and help my family be rooted in God. I'm going to close, close pretty quickly, but you've got to know that for yourself. And you need to know that for the other people in your family. So this whole idea of it starting with me, I want to make sure I take the time to do that. But I also need to be aware if I recognize in one of my children's life or I recognize in my spouse's life that they need that time, then I might need to take on some of their responsibility for a few hours and, and allow them the time they need. We've got to help each other out. I can't go to the Boundary Waters for a week if Sharice isn't willing to have the kids by herself for a week. And if she's willing to have the kids by herself for a week, I better be willing to repay that whenever she needs it. So today, in starting this service, and I'm going to close, you can stand. I just echo the words of Joshua. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whom you will serve. This series of individual decisions in each household is the first step to establishing and keeping our families in Christ. The best thing you can do is say, no matter what my role is in this family, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to be a young person that serves God. I'm going to be a mother or a father or a husband or a wife that serves God.
I have great compassion just through the years of youth work, of watching families where just one person's living for God. And there may be seasons where your family struggles spiritually. And the temptation in those moments is to say, well, I'll back off a little bit in order to maintain the temporary peace in my home. But the greatest act of love that I can give to my family members, no matter my role in the, in the family, is to be strong in my commitment to God. Because I'm not talking about having happy families. I'm talking about having families that are established in Christ. And I would rather have a little bit of friction in my home and get my family to heaven than to have all laughs and hugs and smiles and we all end up in hell. We want to have families that are established in Christ. Jesus, we thank You for our families. God, they bring us such joy. There's a lot of frustration and pain with it too. But God, we, we take a lot of pride and we take a lot of benefit from those that are in our families. I pray, Lord, that You would help us to be eternally minded when it comes to our families. That we would view each day as an opportunity to lead each other closer to Christ. Your Word is full of examples of wives who through their behavior can change the eternal impact of their husbands. And it talks about us as parents having an impact on our children. God, I pray that You would help us to see that. Help us to focus on our relationship with You no matter our role in the family. Let us be people of prayer, people of the Word, people of commitment and faithfulness. As we all strive to do that, it's going to benefit our families as a whole. Help us, Lord, to push away from sin and disobedience as we see the negative impacts that can have on those that we love and care about. Pray, Lord, that You would allow these, these words, the meat of Your Word today, to settle into our hearts, into our families, and help us to go our way striving to be more like You. Help us to see the impact of that within our homes. We love You. We thank You for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how to sing and I don't know all the words, but the only thing I could think of this morning, and I looked and looked, there's, they don't record the old songs. But the old song says, I've decided to follow Jesus. That's what we've got to do. We've got to decide to follow the Lord. It's a decision. Joshua didn't say, have an emotional response to the words I'm speaking. Emotions come and go. He said, choose. Choose today who you're going to serve. And these folks responded well. They, they chose to serve God. I hope that we'll do the same. God bless you. We're going to conclude our service. Bye. <laughs>